three. Good! You can't be serious with that shot. Thomas, shake, crossover, step back. All right, the bracket is out, and we are here to break it all down on the Just College Hoops podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. The brand new Just College Hoops podcast that has been fired up at the most wonderful time of the year as we are now into March Madness. Tim Leonard, Brian McLaughlin, and a Brian McLaughlin that has to be buzzing right now. What a weekend for you, my friend. You are the voice of Vermont men's basketball. They are in the dance after another America East conference title in the conference tournament. And you're an alum of Penn State, and they went all the way to the final of the Big Ten tournament. I, I don't even know how you're not just floating right now and, and not on cloud nine and actually doing this podcast with me. I am not sitting on a chair. I actually am floating <laughs> right now. I mean, it has been a phenomenal couple of days. Vermont was expected. They were the favorites in their conference tournament, um, and they took care of business against UMass Lowell. The the run from Penn State, completely unexpected. We're going to dive into that a lot more, Tim. Uh, uh, I'm Buzzing is a good word to put it. It's been relentless energy for me the last couple of days. And yesterday was kind of the culmination of it. Penn State, of course, lost in the Big Ten tournament finals earlier today. But yesterday with the Vermont win over UMass Lowell, I've got I've got a hat right here. My Americans nice. hat, <laughs> a little piece of the Patrick Jim net. Um, it was just a great day and, um, it was a day of celebration in Burlington the day before the Vermont women's basketball team also won the America East title also in Patrick Jim. It was a crazy 24 hours in Burlington for the basketball programs. And man, I've been living since then. And we just got done watching the selection shows for both the men's and women's teams. Um, UVM threw a big watch party to get everybody together and, so they, they've done it right the last couple of days. And I, I just, and now I get to go to the tournament, which I'm so unbelievably fortunate to, to be able to say that. And just can't wait to, to watch that Vermont Marquette game. We're going to, I'm sure, break down that matchup. Oh, of course. But fair to say I've had a, a good, really 48 hours now dating, dating back to the UVM win Saturday morning. Yeah, I love for the podcast listeners. You just took off the hat, but it still had the tag on it. That that it shows you that it, it's so fresh. You you haven't even ripped off the tag on that bad boy, but that's awesome. The Americas Championship Conference Championship hat you've got rocking there. On my side of things, as a Syracuse alum, very different feel over the yeah. last week with some earth shattering news that Jim Beheim is out. We'll we'll dive into all of that, but I think. We, we got to start with just the bracket and our initial reactions to everything. I'll have a lot to say on the Jim Beheim stuff as someone that's been close to the program for a while. And it was handled very interestingly. And I, I think there will be a lot of thoughts to go into on that. But let's let's dive into the bracket and just your initial reactions here. I think everyone wants to start with the bubble teams. And that's always a big part of the focus. I've kind of found that over the past four or five years now, and since they've introduced the net rankings and college basketball has become more of a thing, I feel like there's less shocking bubble team things that come out at the end of Selection Sunday. It used to be like, holy cow, no one had this team and they made it. And I think that's been dialed back a little bit now that you have like 
80 bracketologist and everyone's it's not just Joe Lenardi anymore. Right. And yeah. By the way, I think Lenardi hit 67 of 68 teams, but the one team he didn't hit was Rutgers. He had them in. I was pretty surprised to not see Rutgers in the field. You're a big 10 guy. I think they're 35 on Ken Palm. They're yeah. 40th on the net rankings as we're looking right now. I get the argument and the committee chair came on and said they've had some key injuries lately. And that's a factor. I don't know if, it should totally be a, a huge deal breaker, the injury uh, argument there. And I was a little disappointed. I, I think for me personally, I would have had Arizona State out of the field and Rutgers in. That to me is the easy, right at the top headline. Uh, and look, when I, we're watching the selection show, I'm watching, like I said, at this big watch party with both the men's and women's basketball teams. We're as much in that moment and in that room, you're not really – really realizing what's going on in front of you. You're just hoping to see Vermont and whoever they're going to play. So then it was about two minutes after Vermont was the last team that got shown by the way, which was kind of funny being in that room, but about two minutes after that all happened, the full brackets out, I looked around and said, Rutgers, where are they? Did they not make it? I was stunned. I was, I couldn't believe it. Now I get it that, the NCAA tournament is not played in the rack. Rutgers might win the national title if they got to play NCAA tournament games at home. They've struggled on the road. They've struggled in neutral site games. Like the committee said, some of those injuries, they're not the team they were at one point in this season when many thought they were that second best team in the Big Ten behind Purdue. Remember that when they were the, the big challengers. And so it was a surprise to me because when you watch Rutgers, they are a team that, I think passed the eye test and they yeah. also passed some of the metrics they defend and they play so hard. Um, and like you said, 35th and Ken Palm. And I, I love the website, the bracket matrix that takes all of those different bracket brackets averages out the different scores. And Rutgers was relatively comfortably in for most of um, those brackets. And they were one of those. I think I saw that- a stat. It was like 68 out of 73 total brackets had Rutgers in the field. And most of them had a, had them in as a 10 seed. So that's pretty surprising. Right. Yeah. And, the and also that- they, they released the list and Oklahoma state, I think they do it based them. on order. Oklahoma state was above them. Then it was yeah. Rutgers. It's one of the next four out. Surprisingly, UNC was third on that list. They've declined the NIT, which we can get into that whole mess yeah. in a little bit as well, maybe, but just to kind of clarify to people that don't have this in front of you, the last four in is Mississippi State, Pittsburgh, Arizona State, Nevada in that order. First four out, Oklahoma State, Rutgers, UNC, and Clemson, who I have a bone to pick about that. I think they arguably should have been in. And if they weren't in, I think they should have been at least closer to the top of that last four out conversation. But for sure, I think Rutgers is the biggest snub here. I stand by that I think Providence is a lot more well thought of by many than what I think of them. I would have had them very much on the bubble. I think Clemson were were in the conversation, but I would have had them right behind Rutgers probably of those next teams out. Then probably would have had Oklahoma State third for me as far as the teams out. But I probably, I like Mississippi State ends up getting in and they've been playing good basketball, but I would have really looked hard at their resume along with Rutgers. And maybe that's a little bit of Big Ten bias from me. And like I've talked about, I'm not the biggest SEC basketball fan this season. Um, I don't think that that conference has been all that strong. I was really happy got to eight see teams any- in too. I, that's a right. lot of teams. That's a for, lot yeah. of teams. 
A lot of teams, Tim, and I was really happy to see NC State and Pitt both get in. I think those are two tournament teams. And look, I, we can sit here and I think pretty easily say about 73 teams deserved to get in this field. Only 68 do make it, and there are only so many at-large spots, and it is tough. But to me, I was the, the Rutgers one was just pretty close to stunning, and it was it was one where I would have – Honestly, if they're on that 11 line with the right matchup, I like Rutgers. I like how tough they are defensively. And that, um, I think, would have made them a dangerous tournament team. And it, it is hard for me to see them not be in the field. That one definitely was the biggest surprise. They also have one of the better wins, maybe, yes. in all of college basketball this year. They won at Purdue. And you talked about how they are so good at home, and that, and that helps their resume and everything. But to go on the road and win at Purdue was a little bit ways back now, but that's a huge win. And to me, I think an overarching theme from how the committee handled these bubble teams and one sort of sticking point that I disagree with and how they're doing it is they seem to be making the bad losses count more than the big wins, if that makes right. sense. They're not no, yeah. even in a way. I view that in order to pick a bubble team, you should be thinking who can go on a run, who can make uh, some waves in March and Rutgers has proven that they can beat some of the top teams in the tournament. Clemson, same way to me, Clemson was six and three against teams in the tournament. Now that is inflated a little bit because they beat NC state all three times. But if you're a Clemson fan and NC state makes the tournament and you beat them three times, it, you got a pretty strong case there. And if they had done it the reverse way and they had put Clemson in, and if you're an NC state fan, you know, you're probably disappointed that they didn't make the tournament. I think NC State should have been in, but I also think Clemson probably should have been in if you're putting NC State in, because if you're an NC State fan and you get left out and Clemson is in, at least you can sort of shrug your shoulders and say, well, that's why. You know, we lost to them all three times. We just lost to them in the 3-6 game of the ACC tournament. They were better than us in the ACC regular season. Clemson was 14-6 and in the league. And I think the problem with the ACC this year is – they had a lot of teams that had very similar resumes, like even NC State and UNC's yeah. resume, very similar. And it felt like the committee just kind of had to only pick a couple of those teams. They couldn't take all the ACC bubble teams or else then they'd have like seven ACC teams in the tournament. And everyone would be saying, how the heck did the ACC get seven teams in when they were worse than the Mountain West based on the metrics? To counter that point just a touch, um, I do think that I, I would also prefer big wins um, over bad losses as that kind of weighs things out. To me, it matters, and I know it's not the selection committee's job to be thinking about matchups and thinking about who each team would play. To me, these bubble teams should have that capability of going on a run, so those big wins should matter. I think the teams at the top of the field – maybe should be seated a little bit and have the thought kept in mind of the bad losses. To me, I would weigh the bad losses more for teams at the top of the field who are going to be playing, yeah. who are going to be playing a 14, 15, 16, which I know is not really how it works. You should be using the same criteria to see the teams on the two line and the same as the teams on the 11 line. But to me, that's where a slight kind of alteration of, of your take there, just based on where the teams are, going to be in the field is how I would kind of use that criteria. That's just me personally. I know that's not how the committee is really going to go about it, but that's kind of when I am thinking about how good teams are at the one, two, three level, I'm looking at bad losses. When I'm looking at teams in the 10, 11, 12 level, I'm 
usually looking for good wins. And that's just how I kind of assess things. Yeah. I think overall, sort of predictably, the ACC was a little disrespected in my opinion. I've been on that block for a while, but even Duke getting a five seed, we'll we'll dive into the bracket and go down some of the matchups. I thought that was kind of crazy to put them even behind Virginia. And I know Virginia's total body of work is better, but the two biggest takeaways I have is I just think the committee needs to focus more on what have you done for me lately? And the teams that are trending right now, like Texas A&M, they get a seven seed in this tournament. I mean, they're currently 18th in the net rankings. I think they're playing like one of the better teams in all of college basketball. I brought up the stat in our last podcast. They're a top 10 team, according to Bart Torvik in the last two plus months. When you go back to January 1st, now the argument against Texas A&M is they did not play anyone in the non-conference schedule. They had a very forgettable non-con and they didn't challenge themselves. And I kind of hear that, but also I would say, if we're not focusing and weighing a win in February as more than November, I think it's a slippery slope in terms of what teams make the field. I think there needs to be more emphasis on how are teams playing lately. And with that in mind, I, I view Texas A&M as a whole lot better than a seven seed. Duke as a whole lot better than a five seed. Even UConn is better than a four seed. There are several examples there. So that's a big thing that I have a critique about. It's just not enough emphasis on the last month, last 10, 12 games or so. And then also the the thing I brought up earlier where it, it seems like if you had a bad loss, you just weren't making this field. And Rutgers lost to Minnesota on the road. That's their worst loss. Clemson did lose to Louisville. They, they had some bad losses, yeah. but I just think the big win should count more than that. Your ACC point does fall a little short as soon as you said Clemson did lose to Louisville. It's it's a bad loss. Right. And it's I, I'm with you for the majority of your thoughts on the ACC. You lose to Louisville, and I do have a difficult time putting you in the field. Yeah, I mean that's as bad as a loss can get. And yeah. and I acknowledge that. I yeah, I would, we've talked I a little about though, that. Yeah, it's just I think Clemson's struggles were based on injuries and a lot of early season stuff where they just weren't the team that they are now. Yes. I, I want the guy, the teams that are maybe going to make a run and, and are playing the best basketball right now. It's really hard to balance that, though, because like Vermont, a team that I, I know well right now, they're probably playing better than a 15 seed. They've won 16 straight games, but they started two and seven. And so which team are you getting? The resume is not really there. And so this is at that very specific level where I I kind of understand how you have to balance it out at some point, because while I think Vermont are better than a 15 seed as of this moment, the resume probably doesn't deserve it. And so you do have to walk that line. I think the Texas A&M thought is fascinating and mainly because they're playing Penn state, a team that is also very hot. Just glancing at that region, Tim, whoever wins that game, I kind of like to go on a run Texas and Colgate are like, I think Colgate's got a real shot against Texas. I really like Colgate, which we've talked about. I don't think Texas is that dominant of a two seed. Houston is very banged up right now as a one who knows what the deal is with Marcus Sasser. And so I do kind of like them putting, I hate it as a Penn state fan that they're putting two hot teams against each other, but it is kind of like, all right, let's see which one of you two is hotter. And I don't think that really goes through their thought process at all. But that is a must-watch first-round matchup, right? Texas A&M, Penn State 
are two of the hottest teams in the country that are both very even, both playing at a level above their seeded lines, which I think makes for a really intriguing first round matchup. And I do kind of like the committee sprinkling in matchups of two really hot teams against each other because I think it makes for a compelling product. I, I just think that, and again, that that's not their job. I don't think that's what they're trying to do. But that is a must-watch basketball game in the first round, which is going to be stressful for me, but it's yeah. going to be really fun for a lot of people. Yeah, that's a great game. I'm really excited for that matchup. All right, let's dive into the bracket a little bit. Yeah. We'll start with the South region where the top overall seed Alabama is. They're playing in Birmingham, Alabama for their first couple games, so a nice generous draw there for the top seed. Any issues with Alabama being named the top overall seed? I wish I could kind of make an issue with it because again, I, I would not pick them to win the title right now. Yeah. Just gut reaction, but they have the best resume. And so that they are the team that deserved that number one overall seed. It's been the theme of the year this year, this year, Tim, just the inability for any team to kind of claim that top spot. Alabama just happens to be the team that's been up there. Most recently, they deserve it again. I don't think they are the best team, although they are maybe the most talented team. But I, I can't make issue with them as the yeah, one overall. I agree with you. I do think they have the best resume. And you could get into the off-court stuff. And maybe they're not right. playing quite as good lately. But I, I have no issues with what the committee did there. Maryland is the eight seed in that region. Nine seed is West Virginia. I think West Virginia probably should have been a 10 if I really wanted to nitpick there. But that's kind of an intriguing matchup. Uh, you got five seed San Diego State and 12 seed Charleston. That to Ooh. me is the obvious, this is the upset that everyone's going to be picking because yeah. knowing the history of San Diego state, the mountain West conference underperformed last year. I think from a Syracuse standpoint, it was 2021, a couple years ago when buddy Bayheim and Syracuse won on a run, they were an 11 seed. They dominated a six seed San Diego state. So they have some stuff to prove in terms of how their regular season success translates to the NCAA tournament. And then Charleston is that team that we joked about last week. People are going to look at the record and just automatically throw them in to the next round. Probably that one, when, when we were watching at the watch party, when that bracket or when that matchup got announced, they got, that got some oohs and ahs from, from yeah. the Vermont players, from the fans. And again, Charleston has made just enough headlines this year. They were getting ranked. They were the team with the nation's longest win streak. Everybody's going to want a piece of, want a piece of Charleston. And so I was the, I'm usually the guy who's then quick to say, San Diego State's really good, guys. Like that, that is a really good five seed. And they're playing really good basketball. Nothing against Charleston. They fully deserve that 12 seed. They are a great team having a great year, but they're going to be the popular 12 5 pick. And generally, I like to fade the public when I can on 12 5. Early reaction is give me San Diego State. We'll see, yeah. but that's going to be the popular upset, no doubt about it. I, I stay away from the obvious upset as well. And it feels like that one, you know, you can check out on the tournament challenge, what percentage is picking each team. I, I'm guessing that's going to be the highest picked 5-12 upset. Next game in that region is the 4-13 game. Virginia the 4, Furman is the 13. It's important to note that the 4-13 upsets do not happen historically as much as I think people think. There's only right. been two in the last five years, but... One of those was Virginia losing to Ohio. I think that was two years ago now, if memory serves. And that was a good Ohio team that had some great players on it. So Virginia has lost in a 4-13 game. I typically take the approach of trying to 
mostly favor the fours in the four thirteen matchup because I feel like analytically speaking, I'm on the right side when I go that way. And most people are just quick to think that 13 four is just as likely as maybe five twelve. when actually there's a pretty big drop off five twelve happens all the time. Four thirteen happens only slightly more than three fourteen in recent history. As a team, I was with Vermont last year when they were the fourteen against Arkansas as the three, and it was a three point game. Um, if I were picking one in this year's bracket, though, Tim, I might pick this one. I talked last last time we were on with you about how much I like Furman, and and so that to me is where I'm at right now with them. You, you look at a Virginia team that you want to talk about current run of form. They are not playing very well. Only and they 30... lost Vander Plus. He's out for the yeah. season. One of their key players. So they're that's, banged that's up. They're, they're 34th in Ken Palm at the moment and sliding. And so this is one where I think there are teams that I really like in the ACC. At times this year, Virginia was on that list. If I'm picking 1 4 13 this matchup, it's 1 4 13 upset in this year's tournament. I think it's probably this one. You have to make a full decision on that. And you're right. The upsets don't happen as much on this line as they do 512. But I do think we're due for a couple of close games on the lines this year. I think Indiana Kent State is going to be a war on another 413 matchup. And so I, I would generally stay away, but we'll, we'll see. I, Furman is a very efficient offense against a Everybody knows the Virginia defense, right? That's going to be an intriguing matchup. I'm looking forward to digging in a little deeper on that one as I try to fill out my bracket. But my gut reaction is, ooh, I kind of like Furman there. Yeah. If I'm not picking the 12-5 on that bracket in that region, I might go 13 over four this time. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are going to talk themselves into that. Furman played your Penn State team very well. They, they only lost sure by did. five in that game. and That was a fun game. Yeah, first trip to the NCAA tournament for them in 43 years. So congrats cool to them. That, that'll be an interesting first-round matchup against Virginia. Going further down that south region, which is in the top left of your bracket, six-seed Creighton, 11-seed NC State. Creighton's an interesting team. They really are kind of trying to get the monkey off their back in the NCAA tournament, I think, more than people realize from the outside. I I don't think they've ever been to an Elite Eight. I'd have to double-check myself, but I, I can go through that as you're talking. NC State, I, I think they're good, but also, I mean, they've got great guards. The question is, though, who's going to stop Kalkbrenner in that matchup? I, I'm thinking Creighton is is my initial reaction there, and I actually like NC State probably more than most. It's a brutal matchup for NC State because I think you and I are on the same page about NC State as a team I like in the ACC. Creighton, though, is a team that I generally really like in the Big East. And Kalkbrenner's the reason that I think this is a tough matchup for NC State. He's going to make a lot of shots right around the rim. He's going to make things tough in that kind of drop coverage. He likes to play defensively for those NC State guards and ball screens. Just a tough matchup for the Wolfpack, who, who are a team that it wouldn't surprise me if they won this game. And then I think Baylor in that next game should relatively cruised by UCSB, UC Santa Barbara. I think Baylor routinely in that one off just kind of initial glance at it. I think NC State Baylor would be a really fun game, but I think we're more like likely to get shock from those two and get a Creighton Baylor matchup. Um Creighton ever they're going to be a popular kind of I think a lot of people are going to pick Creighton to go on a run. They, they've been yeah. that team that were favorites early in the year, fell off and then have now kind of gotten back into the spotlight enough that I think will be a pretty popular 
six seed that people might take to to the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight. Yeah, there's some value there when you consider that when they lost Kalkbrenner initially, they went on that big, long losing streak, and that's not really the team that they were. If they had him for the entire season, their resume and their seeding would probably look different. I do have to apologize to the 1941 Creighton Blue Jays who didn't uh, make the Elite Eight, but that, that's their only Elite Eight. Yeah, shout out to apparently his nickname is the Little Giant Eddie Hickey, who was the head coach of that 1941 Creighton team. But anyway, let's uh, continue on through this bracket. Baylor's the three seed. They're playing USCB, seven seed Mizzou against 10 seed Utah State. Utah State was considered kind of a bubble team. I think some were surprised to see them with a 10 next to their name. But I like Utah State. I think they're a good team. And then you got Arizona and Princeton in the 215 matchup. Stinks for Princeton. That's a tough matchup for the Tigers because I really like Arizona. They they just won the Pac-12 tournament. It's kind of been discussed that I, I do really ride for, for the Wildcats um, and Kirk Carissa. To me, this, this entire region is, for me, going to come down to, honestly, Baylor and Arizona, two teams that I really love. And it, again, comes back to my kind of ambivalence about Alabama. While I think Bama are ultra-talented, score the ball, maybe the most talented team in the country. I mean, I think this is a relatively loaded region when your top three are Bama, Baylor, and Arizona, because that's three teams that I, if they were in three separate regions, might have going to the final four. And so to me, those are a pretty clear three top dogs. I think Arizona doesn't have too many issues with Princeton, even though Princeton are a really solid 15. A lot of people thought they would be on the 14 line from the mid-major ranks. And so a great win against Yale today for Princeton. But to me, th- this region comes down to the big boys, unless it's Creighton, who might be that team that could make things happen because they are a talented group with lots of size and are well coached. To me, this is a region that's going to come down to the top three teams just based on who those three teams are. Would not be the region I'm, I'm taking a c- Cinderella run out of. Yeah, my gut reaction is I'll probably have Arizona coming out of this region. I think that Pac-12 title game was very interesting to watch. Courtney Ramey hits a big shot down the stretch, has only made field goal in the entire game. I really like how Arizona plays. I think Tommy Lloyd is such an outstanding coach that's kind of due to sort of get even more national respect, and maybe this is the type of run that warrants that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for a while we had sort of debated UCLA, Arizona on our first couple of podcasts, UCLA without Jalen Clark, that's, that's definitely a factor. And we didn't know for sure when we recorded our last one, but now it is known he is out for the rest of the year. So, you know, Amari Bailey is going to step up and play some bigger minutes for UCLA, but I'm almost leaning more towards Arizona as the team that I like in terms of those two now after that injury news. Remember in our initial very first podcast, we talked about four national title favorites. I yeah. had both Baylor and Arizona in my top four. I'm very high UCLA on those two. number one. So yeah. I, I don't even think I'd put them in, in my top four now. I, I think that injury does matter that much. And maybe I'm overreacting there. And there are other injuries. You mentioned Marcus Sasser, Houston. Looks like he is probable to play okay. in the first game. Still, though, you don't know what you're this. getting there. Yeah, that, that's a big one. Um, and, and we hit on the Virginia injury. Overall, though, I think Alabama has a pretty easy region here. Like, I think you're a little higher on Baylor than me. They I have am. not been playing great. No, they have got defensive issues. So I'm, and I'm they maybe have some a little bad more... losses this year. They do have yeah. some bad losses. No question. Yeah. So if you're Alabama, you start in Birmingham, you maybe are drawing San Diego State, Virginia in the Sweet 16 or a bubble team or or not a bubble team, a a team that's going on a run as a Cinderella, maybe. I think Creighton's a a very good six seed that we hit on, but 
in terms of, you know, you're going to run into some tough teams if you make it to the final four. And I think Alabama probably has the easiest path of any of the one seeds, as they should because of the top overall seed. I think they have an easy path to the Elite Eight. And then it gets tricky with either Baylor, Arizona, or Creighton. Yeah. That's when, to me, that's when Alabama's tournament kind of starts. If they don't make the Elite Eight, massive disappointment. Right. All right. Next region, the lower left region, Purdue get did get that last one seed over UCLA. They are the one seed in this region. They'll play Texas Southern or fairly Dickinson in the uh, play in game to decide that, which will be fun to watch. I always love love watching those first four games between the 16 seeds. Uh, second game in that region is the eight nine matchup. You got Memphis, the eight seed. And Florida Atlantic, a team that has won 30 games. I think it's 31 and three 31 currently. They're the nine seed. It's kind of a disrespectful seed for them. And and honestly, a disrespectful seed for Memphis as well. That, that's a two very good eight, nine teams there. Florida Atlantic is 26th in Ken Palm. That is, yeah. that is a good, 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 good nine seed. That is um, a really fun opening matchup between them and Memphis. Memphis, a team that are playing great basketball at the moment. And We've talked about our Purdue doubts. I, I, to me, Florida Atlantic is is a potential Cinderella team, and I, I don't know enough about them and haven't watched them quite enough to really know exactly how they'll try to handle Edie. What I do know about Florida Atlantic is that they're very balanced, and I like teams with balance come March. And I, I think this is a tough kind of draw for Purdue. You're going to see maybe Florida Atlantic or Memphis, two very good teams in that second round. And then – Going down that bracket a little further, Tim, you've got Duke as a potential five seed in that region yeah. that you could see playing a Purdue team. There are not many teams hotter than the Purdue uh, than the Duke Blue Devils at the moment. I, I, we can talk about their seeding a, a bit. Duke, to me, I thought was going to be at least a four when I saw them yeah. on the five line. I was, I was. That's where the ACC disrespect stunned me the most. Yeah, I am so torn on Duke now. I need to hash this out with you because remember, we did the last podcast and I ranked them as one of the underrated teams. They were my top most underrated team. Has the pendulum and, swung? Yeah, and now, but now they're like so trendy. I feel like I was watching the ESPN stuff afterwards and Jay Billis has Duke in his national title game. Everyone's going to be picking them. And by the way, that is maybe the most fun game of the entire first round. Duke against Oral Roberts. Yeah. Max A. Smith back after last year. 5-12 matchup that, I mean, I hope that's a close game because that's as good as it gets in terms of storylines and what we love about March Madness. It's the Oral Roberts senior-laden team that came back to try and go on another run, and it's Duke, the big bad Blue Devils, who are playing so good right now. And I think everyone is – they're going to be the most popular Final Four dark horse team in probably the entire field. So now I'm like, man, should I – not be picking Duke to go far because I usually stay away from that most popular pick. And I feel like I was just too early on Duke. They're, they're almost too trendy. Now we've had enough of a chance to look at the bracket, Tim, where we are overthinking our overthoughts. Yes. We, we have, we, we think we're smarter than everybody else that we're overthinking ourselves. I also hate Duke like everyone else. So I don't really <laughs> want to pick for them anyway. And I never want to pick them far. So I'm going to maybe pick them pretty far, but I'll still be waving pom-poms for all Roberts during the game. For me, Duke is, they're, they're obviously polarizing. I mean, it's easy to have everybody say they hate them, but then analysts pick them to go to the final four. Are they going to be the upset that nobody picks? And does that make Oral Roberts dangerous? Like, to me, that then, again, we, we can do this overthinking thing with all these teams, but that right. was minus a reaction of like, okay, I think Duke is a lot better than a five. 
Should I then pick Oral Roberts? And I like Oral Roberts. I think they're a good team. I think Duke are a lot better than them, though. And just kind of on paper, I would pencil Duke into the next rounds immediately. But maybe I should be kind of countering my own gut reaction and picking Oral Roberts because they do have what it takes to pull off an upset. There is firepower on that team, no question. Yeah, I'm so torn again because two of my big principles here are I always try and pick that upset that no one's picking because I think that's a chance to try and pick up some bracket points. And that feels like the upset, right? I mean, everyone's just going to not even think about Oral Roberts. And also I, I was thinking going into the tournament, Oral Roberts is a team that I could see myself picking to win that first round game. So Mm -hmm. I'm really torn based on that aspect. But then another principle I have here is how can I say Duke is my most underrated team and not pick them in the first round game, right? I mean, I'm going to be kicking myself either way in this game. So I'm just excited to watch it because I think that is the most intriguing first round game for sure. And then, you know, right under them, you got four seed Tennessee and 13 seed Louisiana. That's another one that I think is going to be picked because Tennessee, kind of like Virginia, is stumbling. They had a recent injury to Ziegler, and I don't know if Tennessee – I mean, they were one of my overrated teams. So I've got an underrated five seed and an overrated four seed. I I can't really not put Duke into the Sweet 16 based on the podcast we did last time. Yeah, that's the thing. This bracket, this region, the East, is really tough for me, and we'll go down farther and get to the kind of the area where Vermont's sitting in this region – I don't love Tennessee. I'm probably going to pick them to win that first round game, but then I, I think like I'm with e- you. Yeah. I, but then I like either Duke or Oral Roberts in that second round. And then it's, it's kind of similar with Purdue up top. I obviously like them to win one sixteen, but then I'm not sure if I like them after that. To me, I think the East could just be chaosville, which is great for me. Who, whose team is a 15 seed in this region. But I, I think the East might be that kind of, the, the group of 16 teams that game to game, I have no clue what's going to happen, which I think is going to make for really entertaining stuff. But I, I am struggling to pick just about all of these games in this region right now. Yeah, This is such a fascinating region because just reading through the seeds here, Purdue, the one seed, that's the worst one seed. I think we can all agree on that right now. I, I don't yeah. think either of us are extremely high on Purdue to begin with. And then, you know, their draw is not great, as we mentioned, with the 8-9 game being Memphis and Florida Atlantic. That's two top 26 teams on Ken Palm that you're going to see in the second round. But you keep going, Marquette the two. I don't know. I mean, Marquette, I like, but it feels kind of crazy to think of them as a national title contender when they were picked to finish ninth, I believe, in the Big East preseason. That shouldn't mean everything, but from a talent perspective, they're probably not the most talented two. Then you've got... On the three line in this region is Kansas State. I'm not that high on them. Four seed Tennessee, we talked about. They're probably overrated in terms of their seeding. But then after that, it's like Duke a five. That's an underrated five. Kentucky a six. Michigan State a seven. These brand names, Memphis an eight. Even Providence as an 11. That's a good 11 seed. And Florida Atlantic is a great nine. Yeah. um, uh, So this is a fascinating region. I I agree. I think if you're picking that region, that's going to be chaos. I would urge people to stay away from picking Purdue pretty far because ultimately what I really try and decide my national champion on is how easy is your path? How confident am I that they're going to be there in the sweet 16 elite eight final four. And based on just going through this and my initial reactions, I'm not awfully confident compared to the other top seeds that Purdue is going to be dancing in in the second weekend. 
How could anybody who watched the Big Ten title game today be confident in Purdue? I know they won the game, but they had a 17-point second-half lead and almost blew it to a team playing their fourth game in four days. That, to me, was just the final nail in the coffin on my thoughts on Purdue. Do I think they're a good team? Yes. Do I think Zach Eadie's generational? Absolutely. Maybe he puts them on their back. But to me, that is the only way this team is going to the final four is if Zach Eady drags the rest of them there. Maybe that big seven foot four guy can drag a whole team. I don't know, but it's not a team that I want to have my money on. It's not a team that I would want to be backing in a tight game late when Zach Eady is not as effective. And and so like like you said, Providence, Kentucky is that next one as we kind of go down this list. I I'm not that high on Providence. I don't really know why other than the fact that, well, they're an 11 seed, but I'm not that high. On I know Kentucky. why they just haven't been playing good lately. But yeah. I mean, right. Yeah. Thank you for so, putting that. It, yeah. That's exactly <laughs> why that that's yeah. really answers my own question for me, but I, I don't want to be the guy who's back in Kentucky all that far either. Although I do really still like Kentucky's upside. They just aren't the team that we all thought they were going to be preseason. And so I'm struggling to kind of, I think the sixth seed is actually about right for them about where really they're a good team. They're not a final four or probably not an elite eight team, maybe not even a sweet 16 team, but they're solid. They're going to do what they do best. They've got some guys who can shoot it. They have a talented core of players. The question just is whether they're able to string some momentum together Generally, I don't really see Kentucky going on a run, stringing multiple wins together. Just not a team that I can envision going anywhere all that deep. Yeah, a lot is going to be made of Bryce Hopkins and the revenge game there. He's at Providence. He played at Kentucky last year, transferred out after he really didn't get any playing time. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much that's going to impact the game. It's going to be a storyline, though, for sure, on the broadcast and everything. I don't love Kansas State, but... I'm with you. I don't really love Kentucky either. I think I'm going to have Kentucky beating Providence. And I'm probably going to have Kentucky in my Sweet 16. But I wasn't necessarily thinking that going into Selection Sunday. I just am not as high on Kansas State as a three seed as other people, I think. And when you go further down the bracket there, Michigan State as a seven, USC's a 10. Then we'll have to dive into your matchup, Marquette the two, and Vermont the 15. But it's a very intriguing region. I could see Kentucky in the Sweet 16. I could see Duke in the Sweet 16 for sure. I could see Memphis in the Sweet 16 as well. I think that's going to be kind of a trendy pick, but I might even pick it to upset Purdue in the second round. It's interesting that we're talking about this because as this bracket was getting revealed, Vermont knew that they were going to be somewhere on this bracket, either a 14 or a 15. So everybody's talking about the potential matchups. So I was paying really close attention to what seeds and what teams are left at this point in the bracket reveal. And we had me and some of the student managers that I'm sitting with watching. were like, okay, Marquette, Duke, Tennessee, Kansas state, those four teams. And we're all kind of like, how would I rank those four teams? One through four because Duke are playing probably the best basketball of any of those teams, although Marquette did just win the Big East as well. I would have had Tennessee clearly the lowest. But then I I thought to myself, Brian, it's, it's the Big 12. Kansas State has been playing in these games for the last couple of months. I am probably going to have Kansas State going to the Elite Eight out of this group. And it's not out of a ton of love. 
It's more out of the fact that, like we talked about, I love the fact that they've been tested and tested recently. They're coming off back-to-back losses, though. Like, how, how can I say, oh, I think this is an Elite Eight team when they just lost in the first round of the Big 12 tournament? I get it's against a good TCU team. They lost their final road game of the year against West Virginia. But generally, I'm willing to, to put some, some faith in Keontae Johnson. I really love his game as just, yeah, I need too. a bucket. I can count on Keontae Johnson, I think maybe more than just about anybody else in this region. And so that's why at the end of the day, I think that would be the team that I kind of trust the most. Although you're going to have to help me out with Marquette because as that is my team's matchup, I've already jumped headlong into research there. I need your thoughts on Marquette, Tim. What what am I getting myself into in that matchup? So I need your thoughts on Vermont because to me, Marquette struggles against teams that can rebound well and have a paint presence. Where does Vermont fall on that scale based on what you know? Depends on what you define as paint presence. They don't have a typical five man. Matt okay. Verretto. Do you know the Matt Verretto story, Tim? I can tell it briefly if not. Yeah, please do. Cause I've seen a couple of your tweets, but I do not know the full story. So I'd love to hear it. Three years ago, Matt Verretto, freshman at Delaware came off the bench, played decently averaged six points a game as a true freshman, went through some off the court things, some mental health things that were just going on as a typical college freshman does. Matt decided, look, I need to get back closer to home. He's from Connecticut. Um, I need to just step away from basketball because he associated a lot of these mental health issues that were going on with playing basketball. Steps aside from playing competitively, transfers to UConn, where he then did not play for three years at UConn, got his degree in finance. Last spring, had a job lined up on Wall Street where he was going to go get a full-time job. With three days left before the transfer portal closed in April, out on a whim, he decided to put his name in the portal at the urging of his brother and his dad. His brother played collegiate basketball. They told him, Matt, you just got to see what's out there. You're going to regret it. He said they'd been telling him that for years. He finally listened, put his name in the portal. Vermont called him the next day because they'd recruited him out of high school. Vermont wow. was the only Division One team that contacted Matt. Matt then went up, visited, went through a workout, threw up during the workout because he was so out of shape. But because he is such a big culture guy and because he is such a great locker room presence, Vermont was willing to ch- take a flyer on him as their fifth big man. Well, Matt Verretto has turned into Vermont's starting five man. They had an injury earlier this season to Nick Fiorillo, who was UVM starting five. And Matt Verretto, in America East play, led the America East in offensive rating, led the America East in effective field goal percentage, led the America East in true shooting percentage, shooting over 70% from two, shooting 45% from three. And he's just one of the best human beings I've ever met. Smart kid, humble, down to earth an easy player to root for. If Matt Verretto has a big March, I think he could blossom as a Doug Eddard like character. That's Um, awesome. And so he's a guy that is going to be fascinating to watch against Marquette because he's not an overpowering big man. Really? He's a four. He's six foot eight undersized at about 220 pounds, but he's Vermont's presence down low. He'll fight. He'll claw. He'll scrap. But what he does best is he can shoot the three and he is going to shoot some threes against this Marquette team. I think, But like you said, Vermont does not really have an inside presence. They score the ball very effectively inside. Dylan Penn is a six foot three guard, by far their best scorer around the rim. And Vermont is a great defensive rebounding team. They are an awful offensive rebounding team. So that's kind of the summary about how they could match up inside against Marquette. 
Well, the flip side, and that's an awesome story. I, I don't know why that isn't out there publicly more. I mean, I feel like we're trying to, to get Sports Illustrated on that or something. Yeah, that, that's cool that you shared that whole story. I didn't know all the details there on him. But I think on the flip side, it's kind of a good matchup for Vermont in a way, because usually what's the big concern when you're a 15, 14 seed is, oh, no, how are we going to guard these big guys that are seven feet, seven one? We haven't seen the likes of those all season, and they're going to expose us down low. Marquette, I don't think is necessarily going to do that from an athleticism standpoint and a talent standpoint. They're not the most jarring two seed. They do have one of the more underrated point guards in the country in Tyler Kolick, who just seems to make all the right plays at the right time. And he's that guy that you need to go deep in March running your show at the point guard position. I love Shaka Smart. I also love John Becker. I feel like he doesn't get enough credit. So it's going to be a fascinating first round matchup there. I think you're in for a close game though. And that's in Columbus, Ohio, you said Columbus. Yep. Yeah. Um, an arch rival of mine, the city of Columbus, but that's okay. We're excited <laughs> to be headed to Ohio. Um, where, where it's going to be a really fun time to be there. We play Friday at two 45 on CBS. The Tyler Kolick thing is going to be really, to me, the matchup in this game is the point guard matchup. Finn Sullivan for Vermont is a six foot six point guard. He won the America East player of the year. He's Vermont's best on-ball defender. Tyler Kolick is an outstanding point guard, crafty, a good finisher, great passer, does so many things well on the offensive end. Can Finn Sullivan limit the ability of Kolick's playmaking ability? Can Sullivan get it going against Kolick with Sullivan's size on the other end of the floor? To me, that's the based on just initial research and reaction. It's going to be the matchup I'm most paying attention to early in the game, and I think it's going to be one of the best guard matchups and two teams that their strengths are around their guards. I'm really fascinated to watch that side of this matchup. And you're right. It's far from the worst matchup we could have gotten as the two, as a 15 against the two. Um, and I could probably talk about this for the next hour. We can move on now <laughs> yeah, for, right. from Vermont, but I, I'm thrilled to to be able to research this one. I, I can't wait to get even more into Marquette and Shaka and their entire season, a bit of a surprise season for them, which has been really fun. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm pulling for you, man. And I think the whole nation's pulling for you. I think maybe it's the Jake Marsh effect. The Jake the Marsh effect, baby. Grad. Yep. He was in Burlington. It was great he to was. see him this yeah. weekend. That's it awesome. was buzzing. The, the place was buzzing when Jake Marsh walked in. He's a celeb. He's getting, yeah. he's getting so many pictures taken with him. He's signing stuff. It's wild. Everybody loves Jake Marsh. We've got to get Jake on the pod in the offseason at some point because in you talk about him as a celeb. I just it's hard for my brain to process that because he and was, you meet him. He's not like that at all. right? No, not at all. And he's such a normal guy. And and it's it's awesome to see how he's doing great things at Barstool. But he was a couple of grades ahead of me at Syracuse. And a lot of people are like, you know, Jake Marsh. And I'm like, how is this happening? How are people like valuing me as a person more because I know who Jake Marsh is? And I mean that I in the nicest way possible. Jake's just the most normal guy. So yep. it's fascinating. But anyway, I'll be pulling for your catamounts. Let's go to the upper right portion of the bracket, Midwest region. And I think it was a surprise to many that Houston is the top seed in the Midwest region. They are the number two overall one seed. And it's not Kansas, considering that that bracket does end in Kansas City. I will say, I don't think everyone should have been as surprised by this as they were when I dove into the metrics. I mean, Houston's number one in the net. I believe I'll pull it up to double check myself. Last I looked, Kansas was ninth in the net ranking. So, you know, if they're going to value the net and they're going to hype that thing up, I'm not awfully surprised that they went with Houston. 
I do think Kansas is probably a better team than Houston. So maybe, you know, if you're just going off of that, Kansas should have been that second uh, one seed. But Houston's going to be kind of in a tough spot here. We can get in the rest of the bracket, but I don't really like the draw that they have here. Totally agree. I think, first of all, although I do think, I'll say this, I felt like Kansas not necessarily got disrespected, but at a certain point, if you're going to talk all year about how great the Big 12 is and put yeah. so many Big 12 teams in, I felt like that they deserved as a conference one of those top two seeds. And I, I like Houston a lot, and I think that they are clearly the most balanced team. I, I If Marcus Sasser wasn't hurt, I would have them as the pretty clear title favorites right now. Um, but his potential injury makes me a bit nervous about Houston. But to me, I, I thought Kansas got a touch disrespected. We've talked a lot about their 15 quad one wins. And I do wonder if had they lost to Texas in the Big 12 title game by three instead of 20, I do wonder if them and Houston are flip-flopped. It it, it does kind of leave a sour taste in your mouth, though, if you're following Kansas that, wow, they just got smoked in the Big 12 title game. Like, that game was... And that's the second time in a row they've gotten smoked by Texas, right? Not competitive in the second half, yeah, which maybe Texas is a lot better than we thought, and I I do think they are a title contender. Um so I don't know the, the Kansas Houston debate. I didn't realize it was going to be quite as feisty as it was by many. I, I had some kind of initial thoughts there, uh, but in general, I was fine with Houston being here. Although again, I, I worry about the Sasser injury. I, I know he's, it sounds like he's going to be good to go for, for that game one, but he's their best player by to me, a pretty fair margin. Yeah. If he's not a hundred percent, not that their title odds decrease significantly, but it makes me a whole lot less confident, no, they, right? Yeah, that's they need him in order to win a national title. I, I'm with you there. So we'll see how he looks in the first game. And if I'm them, I maybe just bench him in the first game. I, yeah. I, I mean, maybe Fine. it's a good indicator that he is probable for that first game. But I just, again, going back to the net ranking, Kansas is ninth. And they actually finished, and this is always changing, but they finished right now as we're recording with 17 quad one wins and seven but quad one losses. So it's like so many quad one games. How, I, I just can't Three make quarters of their net. schedule are in quad one. Right. I mean, how are you not higher than ninth in the net rankings, though, if you have the most quad one wins in the history of the net rankings? Right. That's that's a head scratcher to me. The other thing is I was ready to say if Kansas won the Big 12, conference title game i think they would have been the top overall seed now they didn't and they got blown out like we said i was ready to make an argument though for them that the whole narrative which i think is overplayed this entire year is there's no great teams right and it's so wide open and there's so much parody in college hoops and i've kind of made jokes about that because i think it's gotten to the point where how many years in a row are we going to say this right and jay billis was talking about this at a certain point we just have to acknowledge that every year now 10 to 15 teams can win the national title. And if we're going to say that it's so wide open, why aren't we going to acknowledge Kansas as a great team when they're the best team? They won the regular season in a historically great league. So if they had won the conference tournament, that argument would have a little bit more weight behind it, but it's weird to me that they're ninth in the net rankings. I I agree. They probably should have been the second overall one seed over Houston. To me, I would have Kansas as my national title favorite right now. I had them as my national title favorite when we ranked our top four title contenders about a week ago. I would have Kansas as my 
I, I understand why they're not the top overall seed. I understand they just got the doors blown off by Texas. To me, they the are. The Bill Self thing's a real thing, right? I, I was mean, about to say that. Yeah. yeah. And so it's great. I believe he was just discharged from the hospital yep. today. Thoughts are with Bill Self. I, I hope he's doing well and does what is best for him for personally. Sure. Just do what's best for you and, and get healthy, Bill. To me, the players on the court, though, this is the best team. A, a lot of what their success do, it does stem from their coaches and does stem from Bill Self. And we talked about his in-game adjustments, especially with ball screen defenses. But I like the players on Kansas a ton, which is pretty wild to say, considering how much they lost from last year's title team. But Jalen Wilson is still that dude. And I like Grady Dick. I think that once you get Grady Dick back out of Big 12 games, I think he's going to be a monster again come tournament time. And I I know we're skipping through a a bit of the top right, the Midwest region, um, and jumping to Kansas right now. But I would, if I'm picking Kansas-Houston, I'm picking Kansas. That's where I'm going right now. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think the narrative is going to be, this isn't the typical Kansas team. They don't have the big, they don't have the typical NBA talent. But I would say that that was the same narrative going into the tournament last year, and and they won it all. So. I think it's a little overplayed to talk about Kansas that way. I still and KJ Adams a- has been really solid. He's only a six foot yeah. seven big man, but KJ Adams has been just really efficient and done his job very well. Yeah. And you're right on with Bill Self. I, I just hope that he's all good because he's right. arguably the best coach in college basketball. Ar- right no, now. not arguable. Not yeah. ar- he is the best yeah. coach in college basketball right you. now. It's not, it's not close. Yeah. I, I picked them to win it all last year. And I think I was the only person in like my, 30, 35 uh, bracket pool competition that actually picked them. So I won the pool. And, and sometimes it's kind of overrated the first round upsets. Everyone puts time into those. It really just matters if you pick the team to win it all. Right. Which maybe, I don't know if it should be that way, but I always try to think about that when I'm filling out a bracket. So I would just more focus on like which one seed has an easiest path to get to the final four and think about it from that perspective if you're filling out your bracket. But Let's let's continue to go down this Midwest region here. Yeah. Eight, nine I'm excited matchup. about this region. Yeah. Yeah. Very intriguing. Eight, nine. Iowa is the eight. Auburn's the nine. Now that game's in Birmingham, Alabama. That's <laughs> about a two hour drive from Auburn. I'm pretty surprised to see that. And I would factor that into your overall view of Houston as well, because if Auburn wins the first game and they have some confidence and they're going up against a Houston team that they feel they can beat, they're going to have a big home crowd advantage there. I mean, Auburn already probably travels decently well. And the fact that you're two hours away from campus playing your first game as a nine seed is kind of surprising to me. So I'm going to lean Auburn in that game just based on kind of the home court advantage. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but I was surprised to see they're playing that in Birmingham. When I first saw this matchup, I thought, oh, that's great for Iowa. I really like Iowa against Auburn. Then I saw where it was and I realized, oh, Oh, they, they screwed Iowa. They, right. put them in the, they put them on the road. How can you do that to the Hawkeyes? And, and look, Auburn's not playing good basketball at all. They've lost three of their last four, but they're getting a home game. Like that is a massive advantage. So big in a tournament atmosphere. That's supposed to be neutral site. To me, that is a, all of a sudden makes this a toss up again. I think Iowa are playing much better basketball than Auburn. Iowa did lose in the first round of the Big Ten tournament, and the metrics do have Auburn probably as um, just a slight favorite. They are slightly higher rated rated in Ken Palm. Um, And so it's one of those situations where I'm swinging back and forth. Yeah, me too. 
My gut tells me Iowa, though, Tim. I just think they're yeah. the better team, even though they're on the road. It's all the, the Fran McCaffrey stare just has me shaking <laughs> in my boots a little bit. He's when he stared down that official, they come back and beat Michigan State. I can't get that thought out of my head. And I do really like Chris Murray. I like both the McCaffrey brothers. They've got a lot of guys who can shoot the three. Pretty much everyone on their team is capable of making a three. And they're a better defensive team than they have been. They're not good. They're they're pretty much middle-of-the-pack defensive team nationwide. But they're also not totally awful defensively. Just enough for me to be, okay, I'll take a flyer on Iowa and then who knows? Maybe something against Houston happens. Maybe Sasser's not 100%. That's kind of where I land there in what is, to me, just one of the more egregious locational matchups, giving an 8-9 seed that much of an advantage based on location. I, I was pretty, pretty stunned when I saw that Auburn as a 9 seed got that much of an advantage. For sure. I, I don't like Auburn. I haven't liked watching them play all year long, but I think I'm going to pick them based on the home court advantage. Like you were touching on that. That's when it swayed me and I'm not high or low on Iowa, but I do think I'm going to give the, the tiebreaker to the home court advantage there for Auburn. And, you know, the best example I can remember of this and kind of a, a wild regional location favoritism came when South Carolina I forget when it was. I think it was the year they made the final four, though. They beat Duke probably 2018, 19, somewhere around there. They beat Duke in the second round. I think South Carolina was a seven. Duke was a two seed and it was in Greenville. And obviously there's a lot of Duke fans that were going to that game anyway. But that was one where it was a head scratcher and it paid out that I I do think that stuff matters for sure. So that's why you get into the argument about Kansas like. If they're playing in Kansas City in the Elite Eight, I'm much more likely to pick them, probably. Yeah, I it's it's tough to to get those home road matchups that look they're going to take place. They're they're going to. I yeah. just I, I hate that it takes place in the first round of an eight nine game. I would that feels avoidable, the, right? I, yeah. I don't know why they did that. Yeah, yeah, so. I thought the same. Let's let's All go right. to Miami and and Drake. Yeah. Then you have Indiana and Kent State. These are two really intriguing 5-12, 4-13 matchups to me, Tim. Uh, Drake comes from the the great conference of the MVC. They they are kind of the – they've become the mid-major conference that everybody looks at of like, all right, whoever wins the MVC this year, probably going to get picked as an upset by a lot of people. But I think you and I both like Miami a lot, right? Miami just a team that – such good guard play is hard to ignore in March. Such veteran teams are hard to ignore in March. So to me, it's it's kind of like, all right, I, I I understand Drake are a good group, um, but I think I gotta go Miami here. And um, I don't know. I'm gonna eventually I'm gonna land on a, a five twelve matchup that I like the twelve. But as of now, I, I'm leaning Miami just because of their guards. I don't want to pick against Isaiah Wong and company this early, even though I think Drake. It's just a tough matchup for them against a team that does feel like they're built for March. Yeah, Miami's got a key injury that's worth monitoring to their big band, Ochai, as well. So I don't know how much you want to factor that in, but I, I, I'm with you. I, I think Miami probably advances here as my lean, but these 5-12 matchups are interesting because it's we're going to get to the St. Mary's matchup down in the lower right in just a second. It's St. Mary's, it's San Diego State, and then it's two ACC teams and Duke and Miami. Huh. So yeah. 
I mean, the five seeds you can make a case aren't that strong. And I, and I think you could talk yourself into any of them, which is typical for March. But that's one that, you know, I, I wouldn't be too surprised, but I'm probably leaning Miami right now. If I'm going to stick up for the ACC, I think I have to pick Miami. Yeah, that, that, that you got to ride with that brand now. You, you've yeah, kind of right. put got to put the eggs in the Got to lean into the point. bit at this point. Yeah. So uh, Indiana, a weird team. Sure I'm are. probably going to take them over Kent State, but maybe that's the upset that no one's picking too. I mean, I just feel like that one's going to go kind of under the radar because there's not as much of an appeal or a storyline to it necessarily. You know, Kent State doesn't have 30 wins or something next to their name. They're 28 and six, but I do feel like, and there is a storyline there. The uh, Kent State head coach, I believe, was a former assistant at Indiana and was part of the Kelvin Sampson era when it all went down. So he'll be looking for some revenge, but you know, I I'm probably just thinking that a lot of people are just going to hit Indiana and move on. And maybe that's the game that is the upset, but I, I like Indiana's long-term potential as well. I think when they're clicking, they can be a, a final four caliber team. This is another one where um, I really, I, I understand like Indiana's the four and you had a great point earlier all about how, statistically 13 seeds have way less upsets than 12s for whatever yeah. reason my, my initial reaction i like kent state i think the okay. mac I, I had a lot of fun i watching trust the your mac gut then i mean that that usually works out right i guess and i'm trying to not bounce back and forth on it too too much my initial reaction was i like kent state they defend at a really high level and i really like teams that can defend at a high level they start four seniors and that's really important i i think that um, they're battle tested. I know the Mac is not necessarily a powerhouse by any stretch, but it's a conference that any given night you could lose. And they would had to beat the number one seed Toledo to go to the dance. Otherwise Kent state not making it as an at large, even though they're a really good team. I kind of like them maybe to win a couple of games. I, I don't yeah. know. I, I, I kind of like them to maybe get by Miami too. I got to dig deeper on the the exact matchup there because Indiana can be such a matchup-based team by who they're playing. But initial reaction was Indiana scuffling. I just watched my Penn State Nittany Lions beat them, which maybe has an impact in my gut reaction there as well. But I was also going to really like Kent State wherever they landed. Yeah. Getting into the latter half of this bracket, Iowa State is going to play the winner of Mississippi State or Pittsburgh. I could see myself picking that first four winner because I I often try to find one of those winners. I feel like there is something to building some momentum and gaining some confidence off of that first four win. You got Xavier is playing as a three seed in this bracket. You got Texas A&M as the seven against Penn State. That's an intriguing matchup we discussed. And the two seed is Texas in the 15 seed they're going against is Colgate, which is another intriguing matchup. Someone's going to pick Colgate in your bracket pool, probably just based on kind of the hype that they've been getting in, in recent NCAA tournaments. Understandable. Just stinks for Colgate that they ran into the hottest team from the best conference in the first round. Tough draw for, for Colgate. I was really glad that Vermont did not get Texas in their draw as the 15 and two. Um, I think Texas are really good. I'm probably going to pick I'm probably going to pick Texas to win this region, Tim, uh, even though they, they have to get out of that second round because Penn State and Texas A&M, whoever wins that game, are going to give yeah. the Longhorns a battle. Penn State can beat anybody because they make so many threes. And Texas A&M, I think you're right. They're probably, in my mind, more of a five seed than a seven. So that's going to be a really fascinating second round matchup. I think Xavier, pretty routine against Kennesaw State. 
and I, I'm going to pick Mississippi State or Pitt to beat Iowa State. I, I, as much as I've yeah. been going for the Big 12, I love Pitt. I think that they are a – I shouldn't say I love Pitt because they have not been playing all that well down the stretch. I like Pitt at their best, though. And Mississippi State have been playing really strong basketball. Iowa State, I'm just willing to pick a Big 12 upset. I think somebody's yeah. got to go down from the Big 12. That's that's one where I'm willing to to say, you know what, that'll be the team that I think goes down. But at the end of the day, I'm most likely going to have Texas coming out of this region. Um, I would love a Texas-Houston matchup. That would be really – get your popcorn out. That would be a that'd really be fun awesome. Elite Eight. I get Two it's chalky. It's 1-2, but that, yeah. that'd be physical. That, that'd be – there's going to be bloodshed if those two teams play. Yeah, it was wild to me – quick point, but Texas was playing Kansas in the Big 12 final – and the coaches were Rodney Terry and whoever was filling in for Bill Self that I honestly don't even know. So if you would have said at the start of the season, these teams are going to be so successful. And obviously for Bill Self, it was unfortunate circumstances and for Chris Beard, but totally different. So different, different, unfortunate. Wild, yeah, just wild to think that we got to that point. Let's get to the lower right corner here. Kansas is the one seed in the West region. They're playing Howard eight, nine matchup of Arkansas, Illinois. I'm not the most intriguing TV product probably in that game is going to be my my first guess on that 8-9 matchup. Maybe it's close. St. Mary's the 5, VCU the 12. I want to talk about that because yes. remember last week we were discussing St. Mary's and their Achilles heel. What did you say? They it's can't the press. press. VCU, what do they do? They press. That's, that's a staple. So I hate that because I wanted to pick St. Mary's and I still might, but that's a tough matchup for them. Man, if St. Mary's can get beyond this round, I do like them against UConn. Although Iona are a team that press a lot as well. So if Iona beats UConn in that 4-13, then that's another pressing team against St. Mary's. Randy Bennett, just go through some press breaks in practice, please. I'm begging you. I want to pick the Gales. I want to ride with the Gales. Just, just go through some normal press breaks and just <laughs> drill it into your guys' heads. I don't think it's that difficult of a thing to break the press. It's good teams do it relatively routinely. Um, yeah. It's a fascinating matchup again at the five twelve line. These are really fun. I love that the committee did give us fun five twelves. Feels like and they really they did a good job making those matchups intriguing. And this might be at the very top of that list. Speaking of fun matchups, four seed UConn, thirteen seed Iona, and Rick oh, Pitino. Baby. First of maybe many Big East wins in the near future for Rick Pitino. And definitely if they lose his last game at Iona, I think we can confidently say he is going somewhere and it's going to be fascinating when that does drop. But Iona has scared Alabama in a recent tournament game. They're now a 13 seed. They're getting a little bit more respect. Another game that it's almost like the Duke Oral Roberts game where I like both teams. I think a lot of teams or a lot of people are going to be picking Connecticut to go far. Going back to Jay Billis, I think he had Connecticut Duke as his national title game, which is pretty shocking to me. That's a terrible but, final game. Sorry, Jay. I think yeah. you're a great analyst. I, I have neither of those teams beyond the Sweet 16. <laughs> yeah, well, they also usually just go chalk and when they do that ESPN breakdown and all, all the analysts are picking. But I, I was surprised by that. I think Connecticut has a lot of potential to go deep, but this is a tough matchup against Iona, and it's going to be fun to see Rick Pitino try and upset Connecticut. Yeah, the top portion of this West region of Kansas, Arkansas, Illinois, St. Mary's, VCU, UConn, Iona, it might not be all that pretty basketball. You might have some ugly games, but there are going to be some really competitive ones, maybe none more so than UConn, Iona. 
I need the Dan Hurley, Rick Patino stare down, interaction, handshake. Give me some coaching drama, please. One time I am, oh, that, that, that is a true, I, if I could watch just the coaches for that whole game, I would no question about it. That's going to be just give me eyes on the sideline for that entire game. Yeah. Both the Hurley brothers are actually in this bracket. I'm just now realizing because you yeah. got six seed TCU against the winner of Arizona state and Nevada. Both those teams, I thought probably could have been left out of the tournament field. I'm Arizona glad, state, I'm glad Nevada got in, but go ahead. Yeah, you're fine. Nevada got in. You said I like. I'm glad Nevada got in. I, I, yeah. The resume is not ideal, but I'm glad they got some respect, and I'm glad the Mountain West got some respect, and I'm glad they got in. Yeah, usually I'm on that side, so maybe maybe you're right. I I don't know. It's it's just Arizona State. You you can take it or leave it for me. They they don't do much for me. They they really are in the first four like every year. It seems like now. I maybe I'm off on that, but it just feels like the the perfect first four team. I don't really know which way I'm leaning on that game. You could, it's pretty much the same as the game above where it's like a big 12 team as the six seed going against a playing game winner. Do you value the plan? Maybe producing some momentum, but that's going to be a fascinating game. I, I would guess that if whoever plays best in that 11 game, I'm kind of going to watch it and, and evaluate from there and then pick based on how they did. Gonzaga's the three seed in this region. They're playing grand Canyon, kind of an intriguing matchup. I think there's starting to be some buzz and we were talking about this. I had Gonzaga as one of my underrated teams that, you know, after what they did against St. Mary's, now people are starting to come aboard that maybe they, this is a national championship type of Gonzaga team. This is a portion of the bracket where I could see a big run coming from a team that are not one of the powerhouses. And I, I, I really think it's TCU, um, a group that returns just about everybody from last year this is where maybe a little bit of my Big 12 bias comes in. Now, they're not playing their best basketball at all, lost two of their last three, but the loss that ended their Big 12 tournament was a six-point loss against Texas, who are a team that are maybe hotter than anybody in the country. I think TCU, they, they defend pretty well. Again, it's because they're a veteran team. Um, generally, I'm going to like them on that defensive side of the ball right now. I worry about their three-point shooting a touch where they are frankly, abysmal from beyond the arc, 340th in the country in three-point percentage. To me, though, they're a six seed that I think are going to win close games, and I like that about them. I think they probably beat Gonzaga even. I would have them maybe as a maybe as an Elite Eight team because okay. I think they could give UCLA about all they could handle too. Yeah, I mean, maybe you're right about TCU. I, I could definitely see someone from that six, either the six seed TCU or the three seed Gonzaga going on a little bit of a run here because – UCLA, like I said, I was so high on them, and they're the two-seed in this region, but based on the Jalen Clark injury, that's their best defender. I'm a little lower on them. The 7-10 matchup in this region is Northwestern and Boise State, and then UCLA is playing UNC Asheville. That's maybe the least intriguing 7-10 matchup, but I'm not saying it's not going to be a close game, but Northwestern and Boise State, I think no one's really circling them as a team that could go on a run from that game. And and maybe that's where your mind should be looking because of that. But I, I don't have a terrible lean on Northwestern or Boise state and who wins that game. I do think there's some potential though, like you were hinting at of Gonzaga or TCU making a run in this region based on kind of how the other teams are in that lower quadrant there. I do have a soft spot in my heart for Northwestern. I mean, there's just something that, They've won me over when I watch yeah. them play and the amount of grinding that Chris Collins and his staff have gone through over the years to get to where they're at right now. 
it's endearing. It makes you kind of, it's almost like they're the little brother. Like, yeah, I want to root for Northwestern. They, they're just like, you know what? It's okay. Like let, let them have their fun too. Um, but I do want to give a major shout out to Boo Booey, the, the senior guard for Northwestern, who is a hooper. If you don't know who Boo Booey is, he's going to put you on notice this March. I think that he is a primetime score and a primetime player. He's not the most efficient player in the world, but he's going to get his buckets, which is just, to me, I love those guys. I, I like watching, similar to kind of my weird fascination with Kirk Carissa. Now, Boo Booey is much more under control than Kirk Carissa, but he is a guard that is a bit of a microwave man. He can take over a game. And so I really like that about Northwestern. And they're just a fun team. And I like we've talked about, I'm not the biggest UCLA guy. I kind of feel a bit vindicated that they lost to Arizona in the Pac-12 title. I know, like you said, the Clark injury totally changes who they are. Still a lot of potential about UCLA, and they have that recipe of veteran players um, and players who have been in this tournament before with a good coach. We'll see. I think they probably get by Northwestern. I like Northwestern in that first round, but Northwestern's a team that if they can go on a run, they are another team that would just to me, I think would truly win over the hearts of the nation, right? If Northwestern's able to win a couple of games, if they were to upset UCLA, how much fun would that be for the people of the, the fans of Northwestern and the people of Chicago who, uh, who have been longtime fans? It's a program that hasn't gotten a lot of attention, understandably so, because they've been so bad. I would love it, though, if they were the team that could really go on a run from that seven seed. Yeah. It, who was, I think it was Julie Louis-Dreyfus. Her son was on the Northwestern team when they last made it to the tournament, and that became the storyline. Maybe if Northwestern goes on a run this time, it'll be Boo Booey, because that's just such an all-time name. I, I feel like he could, and he's such a great player, too. I, I'm glad you shouted him out there. But so, th- so that's pretty much the bracket. I mean, we just yeah. ran down all the games. We didn't pick any, and that was kind of intentional. We're going to have another podcast before all the games get going and the if ball give is a tipped. lean here or there. I think people can cut yeah. some of those games. You can kind of get a feel for, it might be able to tell that I like some of the big 12 teams might just be a guess. Yeah. Right. And we hinted at some stuff, but we yeah. will actually fill out a, a true bracket and make some real pen to paper picks. Next time we talk, I think it's good to kind of wait on it because a lot of my picks are based on what other people are doing and, and kind of swaying away from what the public is doing. And I think that's how everyone should be kind of viewing it. So I want to see the odds. I want to see the lines and, and yeah. all that is pretty much out, but I want to really dive into it a little bit more before I do put pen to paper on those picks. And I'm sure you're kind of the same way, Brian. So absolutely. We'll have our next podcast, another one coming up maybe early in this week before kind of the the tournament games fully get going and and we'll actually make our picks there. Before we get out of here, though, got to talk about Jim Boeheim and and the coaching news that went down. Yeah. As a Syracuse guy, if I don't talk about it now, then I'm not going to get it off my chest and it's going to be too outdated. So I think we need to discuss it now. There's a lot of coaching news going on, too, that we can chat about once it becomes official. I mean... Chris yeah. Beard, Ole Miss, Rick Patino, where's he going to go? That's going to be a fascinating storyline in the offseason here. The Syracuse situation, it was very puzzling. I think the the consensus now across America is Jim Beheim was pushed out. Mm. I, I will say I don't really know how it all went down. I think even people that are very close to Jim Beheim in the program don't really have the best idea of how it went down. But I think there's two interesting things to weigh into the conversation here that maybe if you're not as close to the program as me, you're not considering. One, 
Bayheim had a year left on his contract. I think that was pretty much known. And I'm, yeah. I'm pretty confident in saying that it's not public information, but it's, it's been out there. And I think I can confidently say he had a year left on his contract, right? The press release went out after Bayheim made those puzzling comments in the postgame presser where he kind of announced his retirement. He said he had a retirement speech, but he wouldn't go further than that. He did not use the retirement word. It, there was never it was never used in the press release that he retired. It was never used in his postgame press conference, and he seemed pretty intentionally staying away from that. I don't know if this is the reason, but I feel like if he doesn't give himself up and say I'm retiring, he's owed some money that he does deserve. And and maybe that was part of it, right? If you have a year left on your contract, you're not going to come out and say, I'm retiring because you're probably owed a couple million bucks. He's not a guy that values money much. And, and he's so, you know, he's been such a figure and has so much money already that I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but I think it's something that no one's really talking about that's worth considering because when you see the press release and it doesn't say retired, and the other thing that is puzzling that I don't really have an explanation for is Jim Beheim was not quoted once in the entire press release, which makes you think, you know, when when Duke gave it to John Shire, of course, Coach K had a quote in there pumping up John Shire. They give it to Adrian Autry, his longtime assistant associate head coach. There's not a quote in there. So that got people thinking there was some bad blood. He kind of provided some closure in his True post game press or not post game, but true retirement press conference ceremony that occurred on Friday, a couple of days after. So, long story short, I don't know, but but I don't think he was necessarily pushed out as a hundred percent surely as as kind of the rest of America thinks. It's a pretty hilarious situation to me, to be frank, Tim. Yeah, it's um, the most Jim Beheim way ever to go out with that post-game press conference and him arguing with reporters. So in a way, it's kind of fitting. And, you know, I. it's also like we're talking about it right now. I'm glad that they had some closure in that retirement speech because this has been, of course, a day that has been talked about forever in central New York. And there's been so much discussion about, oh, are they going to turn the court sideways and make it like a 50,000 seat, you know, venue for his final game. It's going to be a big deal. Obviously they aren't in a great spot as a program. And a lot of fans wanted him pushed out at this point. But the one thing that felt kind of right was I was at the press conference when he did his full retirement speech. And for the first time in that whole process, I was sitting there thinking, this is how I visualized it. This is right. This is what they're finally doing something right in this process by kind of honoring him in the right way. And he's going down the line and, and saying all the things that he wants to get off his chest and say. And, and he did say that when they went on a losing streak, he went to John Wildhack the week before the athletic athletic director at Syracuse and said for the first time that he was contemplating retiring. So the the part that I found kind of most ironic, Tim. It felt like a crisis of communication, which is a bit yeah. ironic considering <laughs> Syracuse has the best communication school in the nation. You're a new house graduate. I mean, I just was like, come on, guys. So yeah. many people went to school here and could have handled this just a bit better. Just just tell me the word. Just is it fired, retired, mutually parted ways? I could go t- down about 10 different ways that this could have been described, and it would have been so much cleaner than how it went. And so I found that a bit ironic. From the outside looking in, it very much felt like it was time. As somebody who, I I was never a Syracuse fan. I never really hated Syracuse. I never loved them. I always just respected the program that Beheim built. 
and frankly was fascinated by the two, three zone. That was kind of always my Syracuse perspective, which I think is probably pretty common. Um, And obviously that he won a lot, like he deserves a ton of respect, but it has been a shit show recently. (laughs) It has has just been from on the court basketball performance, less than ideal from off the court, how he's handled certain situations, how he's treated other people when it, when it comes to press conferences from the outside looking in, it's kind of felt like it's been time for a little bit. Yeah. And so I was just then stunned when, this all came about that he was finally going to hang it up one way or another, whether it was fired, retired, et cetera, that there wasn't a cleaner course of action in place. Like how did you not have kind of a game plan for this? And then I think, I don't really know. Again, we don't know what went down behind the scenes, even leading into that now kind of infamous presser where he kept saying, I don't know. You'll have to ask them, which was classic Payheim. Yeah. But how did he not, have some bullet points of what to talk about in that. Presser. I know that's the part that if you baffled. don't know what you're going to say, it, it's on him too, for fumbling this whole ordeal because, and he probably just wasn't thinking about it much knowing him and he didn't really put too much stock in it and thought it was going to be fine, but it blew Which up. Kind of proves it, it was time to go. Yeah. And I do laugh a little bit because there's so many, you know, radio callers and fans here in central New York that for years have been saying, the school has to step in. They've got to fire him. I don't know why he's still the head coach. That's awesome. And it it happens in a lot of people's uh, you know mindset when it was Wednesday and we didn't have clarification and it doesn't say retired in the press press release. It's like, whoa, the school fired him. And then all those same radio callers and fans are saying the school shouldn't have done him like that. They they shouldn't have handled that situation like that. Beheim deserved better. And it's like. Little hypocritical if you're calling for them to do the exact thing that they maybe did, and then you're saying they did it wrong. Could they have handled it better? Yes. It sounds like they're going to have a celebration for him next year and and have a big game and blow it out, and that's all good. I'm disappointed in the way that it was handled, but I don't think when when it's five, ten years from now, we'll even really remember this part. And honestly, it's just kind of funny looking back on it in a way that it was Bayheim's last post-game press conference and there's been jokes about Greensboro being the site and he was so down on Greensboro another thing before we get out of here that I think is noteworthy in this whole thing I I don't know this for sure but Red Autry in my opinion has a better chance of keeping the current roster together there's a lot of discussion about who's going to go pro is it is Judah Mintz going to go pro they have Jesse Edwards one of their better players is a senior he could come back for a COVID year there's some potential transfer portal guys that haven't gotten the minutes that they feel they deserved, right? Like any team now. Yeah. I think they wanted to get the announcement out before the portal becomes a thing tomorrow. It's official on Monday and it rushed the whole thing. And I don't think Bayheim ever visualized himself announcing it right after a game because he's been pretty forward about how he doesn't think about retirement or he doesn't like to think about it during a season And I always viewed that before the transfer portal stuff became a thing, he was going to probably announce it on like Memorial Day weekend or or just like take some time to digest what happened. Think about it. And then maybe, you know, like Roy Williams did. It was April Fool's when Roy Roy Williams did it. And everyone was shocked by that. But now you, you just don't have that luxury really in the transfer portal area. You have to get ahead of it. And I, I think it's definitely was in their consideration that if they add Red Autry now, they're going to keep players and they have a young core that if they do keep them 
it, it helps Red Autry get off to a much easier transition, a better start. So that's another thing that I think went into this equation. I'm just hoping they come out playing a one through one zone. Move yeah. on, move on from the two three. <laughs> Give me the one through one. I don't know. Yeah. I, that, it was I, asked I totally... at the press conference, and it was a funny uh, Brent Axe, one of the local media members in Syracuse, just said, you know, I think I speak for everyone, Red. What defense are you playing, basically? <laughs> it, was, it was kind of a funny moment, and he, he basically gave the, the standard PR answer, we're going to be versatile and, and play whatever defense wins us games. That's all I can say. He's hinted, though, in the past that I, I would be surprised. I think we're probably going to see man-to-man at the start of next year. And, and he's Excellent. talked about his style is – get up and down and, and he wants to get mm. Syracuse back to up tempo. So that, that strikes me as a little easier to deal with man to man. But anyway, I'm glad I got my Syracuse thoughts off my chest here. Um, hopefully that all made sense. I'm clearly battling my voice a little bit too, as, as we wind down this podcast, but anyway, it, it was, you it was sound good great. To, Come on. You sound great. It, it was good to just hash out the bracket with you, Brian, because it yeah. is the best time of the year. And we're going to have plenty more podcasts. I mean, if you enjoyed this episode, we're subscribed now because we're probably going to be ripping three, four times a week once we get into the the thick of things. I mean, if Vermont upsets in their first round game against Marquette, I'm calling you as soon as possible and we're getting a live reaction podcast. It's just I might, I might have to record with a beer in hand if, if that's right. the case, but I'm more than happy to do that. I mean, we yeah. might. If that happens, well, we might have to get a catamount on and join the show then too. That would be uh, maybe Matt Veretto. He'd be great to have on it and chat with some college hoops. Yeah. We'll, we'll work on that. You can't take the smile off my face right now, Tim. And it's not because Penn State made a deep run in the Big Ten tournament, not even because Vermont are dancing again for the second straight year. It's because I'm looking at a bracket. This is the best. I love seeing all 68 teams in front of us. So yeah. many possibilities. So many picks I'm going to get wrong. Thanks so much for letting me sift through all this with you. This has been great. Likewise, man. And I can't wait until, you know, it's Sunday and we've already ripped up our brackets and, and we're oh. still talking about everything that's happening in college basketball. So if you're a diehard college basketball fan, which I'm sure you are, if you found this podcast in the first place, be sure to subscribe. We'll be dropping some bonus episodes for sure, at least two to three times a week as we go through the NCAA tournament. But that'll wrap things up for our episode today. For Brian McLaughlin, I'm Tim Leonard, and thanks for listening to the Just College Hoops podcast. Hoops podcast.